need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to NatureVac podcast, where we are speaking about the green future with entrepreneurs and investors from around the world. My name is Tarmo Verki, and today my guest is Kenny Kaluichi, a carbon expert who has been working in the industry for several years. Welcome, Kenny, to the show. You've been around uh, quite a lot. Uh, tell, tell in short what you are doing these days in the carbon space. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, uh, Tamu. Uh, it's, it's a real opportunity, and I uh, take that very seriously and no, not lightly. Um, just to be included in your podcast and your platform as well. Uh, yeah, um, I've, I've, my, I think I've been doing quite a lot of things, you know. Um, uh, currently, I'm working a lot on the carbon side, uh, trying to focus on the EU ETS, but also on that's on the compliance side, and also I've been working pretty much trying to advise companies, uh, for example, Airbonics, you know, um, from, I think that's from uh, Estonia, mm-hmm. uh, that are doing afforestation. Uh, and I've been advising that those guys. They're pretty much on the advisory side. That's where I think today I am. On the carbon market side, both on the compliance and also uh, advisory on the voluntary carbon markets here. Uh, apart from that, I'm also running, you know, a venture tech village in Africa. And that means... I'm trying to see how we can drive more women into tech in Africa. Uh, so giving a lot of opportunities to women to actually join this platform that I'm building. Um, and we're targeting really, really women leadership into this platform within IT. You know, uh, that's economic inclusion, but also social inclusion as well. Uh, there's a huge gap of women not in tech. And I think that also contributes to, you know, um, the retardation of growth in Africa, yeah. Uh, when you're developing a carbon credit project, you need to go obviously through God standard or Vera, and you know, in there there's like a PDD that you need to you know, make sure that you're filling. And I think now my question is on the impact of that PDD, right? So there is you know, on the God standard, uh, you know, assessments. It's like you need to meet gender sensitivity, and your project has to include more women to the project, which is great, and you know, creating jobs, you know, so. They need to tick at least three SDGs uh, with, you know, obviously the, the climate, the creation of jobs. I think most of these $10 million projects, there's only 10 jobs that are created in that place. Only 10 jobs out of this huge project, $10 million, you know, uh, emissions reduction uh, uh, project, right? So we don't see those, I think those numbers are less, and I would love to see if God Standard could really push that envelope to measure that. The reason, you know, if the project X has 10 million, they should create at least, you know, even 100 plus jobs or 200 jobs, you know. But most of these, you know, are like permanent roles. It's like very, you know, freelancing approach into job creation that actually created permanent jobs. So definitely women included in these jobs as well. And you know, I think that's really critical to, you know, to make sure that you bring equity, right? Because the money obviously come, comes back to Europe, but then, you know, uh, only 10 people were recruited out of the 10, 20, 15 million dollar project. Mm. 
I don't find that very fair, right? So Absolutely. I definitely want to see more numbers on job creation. Obviously, there's a substantial, you know, in terms of like emissions reduction, I think that actually works. But with the job creation and those other SDGs, I think there should be, you know, a benchmark to say you need to make sure that there is a substantial number there than just creating five jobs out of the 20 million dollar projects. <laughs> So yeah, I think that's what I wanted to kind of like reflect on. I think it's uh, I I love the God's kind of mechanism here. Mm. The uh, thing I, I remember hearing from someone then that the classical carbon project is that uh, it's a 2080 project where 20 percent goes to original, uh, you know, either the land or the people or the where it's actually the value is created, and 80 percent is going to all the middlemen in the chain who are creating the projects, paying for the projects, delivering the credits. Uh, that sounds really unfair. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I don't definitely, it's a right observation, Tamil. Um, I, I don't get it as well. It's very unfair. Um, I think most of the people that develop projects should get more, um, obviously. But also people that are investing in the project should actually have something, right? But I think the problem is that value chain, which is very complex when you're getting these kind of credits, right? Yeah. All these kind of people that are doing verification, validation, which is actually very important. But everyone is getting a cut from that, right? And then the broker gets about 25 to 20 to 25%, you know, in the revenue share model. And then, you know, by the time, like you said, right, only like a very minimal number of you know, revenues that goes back to the people that actually build these projects. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a little bit very unfair. I would definitely agree with you. I don't find that to be you know, a very sustainable approach in how this market should move. I think I think if we want to create an impact, we should definitely focus on project developers. Whether we want to take out poverty, uh, creating impact. A lot of the a lot of the revenues in the in the carbon industry are staying with a kind of with the chain. Uh, but the uh, which, which would make a lot of sense because in a way it's, a, as you were saying, transparency is the key in this industry. And it's really, for me, the carbon industry challenge is really a lot about trust. So if you have a kind of, if you need to build that trust, it's kind of logical that uh, there are costs related and so on. That, you know, if we would go all directly to the person on the ground saying that I, I planted those trees here, can I get my money for those those uh, carbon you know savings created it would be even more complicated but uh, how do you see this kind of the trust challenge of this industry yeah good good observation there i mean the the, the challenge is like very it's humongous right um it's a very big challenge uh trust obviously you know it's it's, it's, it's something that you need to benchmark especially if you're going to go into a market to buy credits, but also, you know, uh, talking to developers, right? There's been a lot of scamming over time, uh, you know, um, you know, and that obviously, you know, if you're a corporate company, there's a lot of reputational risk, right, to get involved directly. So I think this is why maybe, like you say, um, you know, the brokers in between, uh, this huge value chain in between, you know, the buyer, you know, the project owner and also you know, eventual buyer, uh, there's a lot of, you know, you know, middlemen there that are pretty much, you know, trying to get a cut and then, you know, another one, and, you know, but trust. So what we are seeing, obviously, in that view is that the, the brokers are creating the trust with, you know, 
with uh, you know the project developers. But and then the the corporate companies obviously the the end buyers are trusting that the brokers you know they have done the right thing, uh, they have done the due diligence process on you know obviously the, the project itself, and and then they're able to trust. So they they you know obviously they're creating the trust um, uh, link there uh, between the buyer and the project uh, developer. Uh, this is why you see there's a lot of you know people in that value chain that are trying to get something out of it, right? So building building a trust, obviously, there is reason opportunity to build a, a trust um, a based market model uh, directly with uh, product developers, right? Um, you definitely need to have people in the team. I think what I've seen most of the you know companies that are buying, they do not have people that could actually really focus on you know uh, procuring these carbon credits, right? You know, you might be like you know a sustainability manager, and then you're really overworked with uh, other things you know on your plate. So this is why you're trying to say, hey, I'll just definitely go to the buyer, you know, to the broker, and then the broker can fix this for us, right? But I think that has to change. I think if there is teams, you know, within corporate companies or end buyers, um, you know, to make sure that they are really focused on, I mean, it could be people in the procurement department there or supply chain department that could be trained, uh, obscured to make, to make sure that they're actually going in and actually purchasing directly uh, from uh, from uh, the project uh, developers. That that could help obviously the project developers so that they don't give away twenty five percent of their you know their project to you know brokers, and then the brokers are getting some well some commission from you know, the the corporate companies. I, so you see how the money actually goes off like disappears mm. uh, because there's just so many middlemen uh, in this market, and I I wouldn't subscribe to that one. I think companies could build trust, but building trust obviously it's um. It's like creating the culture of trust, you know, uh, between, you know, the price that you want to buy in or, you know, um, and also understanding pretty much doing the pretty much uh, proper due diligence on those process uh, project directly than going through a broker, right? And, I mean, there's there's always risk as well, like reputational risks with uh, buying through a broker as well, right? It's not, not everything is like, you know, it's glittering gold. Of course. There is, there is reputational risk that is involved with brokers as well. And we've had so many of these uh, things. Uh, oh, we bought carbon credits, and then ninety percent were not actually accurate. Uh, you know, all these kind of things. You know, will definitely happen in the market. Uh, but I think what's uh, was I think the future of carbon credits. I think with that, you know, overview that you've just shared is uh, companies buying, building a trust-based model with project developers directly. But you definitely need to set up an infrastructure for that. You know, mm-hmm. it's not easy, but once you do that, there's going to be that. You know. Uh, where where companies you know you know you know project developers could actually leverage on that revenue than splitting that across 10 15 people that are involved in that chain yeah so i think that uh, could actually be the base model uh trust based model but directly with uh, project developers yeah i think i'll definitely go for that one mm. uh, touch on the middle mm. over the last uh, year or so we've seen a lot of uh, big media outlets uh, unveiling their overblown carbon estimates of uh, mostly Vera, but probably in general, the carbon industry. How do you see these uh, reports? How they have, how have they, uh, what has been their impact? I mean, I, I think from one side, it's clear that it is hitting the uh, already fragile trust in the industry. From the other side, it's clear that, you know, you kind of need media to break the bubble anyway. 
Ah, uh, yeah, that's a very hot one, uh, Tamu, right? Um, you know, it's uh, it's a great overview. It's uh, it's a great observation there. I think everybody sees that, right? Um, mm. I think it's lack of transparency, uh, you know, and that volatility of the market itself, you know, that obviously causes that volatility of the market. And, you know, with all these controversies, I think that actually harms the market more, mm. you know? It's, it's, uh, it's just like, you know, a uh, sort of injury here. Uh, it's, it's it's just it doesn't give the market a great impression, you know. I think it also scares a lot of people and companies to actually buy into this market, right? Mm. Because it's just so much risk there. Mm. Uh, there's a reputational risk. There's a liquidity risk. You know, you might actually lose out money if you actually bought uh, carbon credits worth three, four million dollars, right? And then yeah. those were actually not legit. And I don't, I don't think there's a lot of insurance involved in that, you know, or underwriting for those, uh, um, you know, uh, purchases. Uh, you know, eventually you lose out on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. money, you know, because then you bought credits that were not actually validated, that were not legit. Um, so I think there is that controversies that are happening within the market. Uh, obviously, we saw the big one with Vera, ninety percent, which was a red plus. You know, uh, obviously. Um, that one, I saw it coming in a way. Mm. Uh, I saw it coming. Uh, Red Plus project, they need um, rebranding. Uh, I don't think, they, you know, it's it's, uh, it's more biodiversity, right? If you look at Red Plus, you know, you're increasing biodiversity, you definitely want to do, uh, to make sure that those trees are not cut down by, you know, farmers or, you know, uh, people mm. that are trying to leverage from that to, to, to make a living. Uh, it's more biodiversity. We're serving biodiversity. I would look into Red Plus to be more rebranded into biodiversity credits uh, because the Red Plus itself, I think, you know, because that was like the biggest, uh, and that actually what, is what actually brought that controversy, right? You know, mm. with very around 90%. Uh, definitely, even when they're trying to fix the methodologies and everything, I don't think... Red Plus should actually continue to exist as Red Plus uh, projects. I think more biodiversity. Mm. Uh, the trees are there. Uh, you can't prove, you know, if those trees are going to be cut and what kind of emissions. And, you know, I don't yeah. subscribe to Red Plus projects. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, with that, if the, you know, there's change in that direction where they could be rebranding and also trying to see what is actually, you know, real and, you know, how to, to make sure that we, we give the right, um, uh, you know, uh, methodologies to the right things than avoiding emission, avoided emissions for me. There's still a lot of question marks on that. Mm. Uh, so I think that brings a lack of trust in the market, you know, lack of transparency, obviously, and obviously it's going to hit the market so hard. Yeah. The 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 future and the biodiversity and the kind of link between the carbon and the biodiversity are really interesting. We will continue the discussion after these short messages from our sponsors. Welcome back, Kenny. We were stopped when we were talking about the biodiversity and carbon credits and red, red plus uh, programs. Do you think the biodiversity will become part of carbon projects, or will we see the totally independent uh, biodiversity credit market emerging? Uh, great question. Uh, I think I would definitely want to see the biodiversity. Um, Credit market actually emerging, you know. Uh, we scrap off red plus and make sure that you know we protect obviously the trees that are still standing today. 
and loss of the life in those trees, right? Now the the biodiversity in those trees, the species, and you know, I think that should I should be that market should actually be the, the the rising market and something that actually could actually bring a lot of trust as well in the market. You know, uh, we can't cut trees, obviously, that's, that's, you know, that's the no-brainer. I think, obviously, we should plant more trees and also save the trees that we have today. But obviously, you no, know, there is uh, carbon uh, sequestration in that, you know, carbon capture, you know, obviously, the trees that are today, but also planting more trees as well, right? I think that's mm. going to be very cheap. Um with with biodiversity market, I think uh, in our carbon in our credit market, I think I'll definitely up for that one uh, to see how that could actually, you know, grow. And you know, with a very very, uh, you know, also making sure that it's a very liquid market as well uh, for mm -hmm. these type of credits. Uh, I would definitely, you know, vouch for for biodiversity credit than uh, voted emissions credits. Right? You know, it's it's. It's, that is that is really key. So we need to make sure that nature, you know, survives mm, and, and, protect, and protecting that nature and you know, across not just in um, in Brazil but across the world. Mm. Uh, I think that's going to be very key. But I think that biodiversity, uh, but a very sound and very thriving market for biodiversity market credits credit market. I think that's going to be very, very important. Yeah, I see mm. that. Hopefully, that could be pushed so hard than pushing red plus and all these kind of things. Like I said, you know, rebrand. Uh, a red plus to to biodiversity and then push up and I'll make the market a little bit more liquid. Yeah. Mm. Do you think, uh, or what could be the biggest lessons for this uh, emerging biodiversity market from from carbon market? I mean, I think with the, it will have the very similar challenges as carbon market with a uh, with the trust questions and uh, and probably if we will have a separate, uh, you know obligatory and voluntary markets we will definitely see on a voluntary market a lot of uh, how would i say weird projects where everything is clearly not right when somebody looks under the hood yeah i mean it's, it's a good one good question yeah um yeah i mean i think this is why you we set up the safeguards right i think we see the integrity council i think i really like that organization you know the integrity council on voluntary carbon markets mm. uh these are people that would sure that they set up the right you know guardrails on you know this emerging market obviously uh carbon credit market uh, for biodiversity i think if that is done by a very legit you know organization like you know the integrity council for voluntary carbon markets that actually brings a lot of trust right you know uh i think if this is something that these guys you know from by you know for the integrity council take you know hands-on and say we can actually create this market to actually thrive uh, we might avoid things that we've seen, like you said, right? Lack of transparency, scams, you know. But also technology is going to be very critical uh, to this market for biodiversity. And I see like blockchain, obviously, uh, you know, satellites, you know, tracking GIS uh, systems you know, where we actually see uh, the forest uh, thriving and ensuring that we actually set up safeguards, you know, to make sure that, you know, it's actually legit and also there's a process of due diligence on whatever projects that we develop for biodiversity. Yeah. But, you know, eventually biodiversity should actually benefit, you know, local communities. Uh, and I think that's the view, right? Uh, I think we, most of the companies that are trading or trying to go into markets, I think they get, like we discussed already, part of a bigger chunk of the revenues. And then people that are local, they don't actually get, they pretty much get nothing, right? Mm. So I think we'd have to see that the biodiversity, say in Brazil, 
you know, those uh, tribes that are living in those areas where they need to protect the trees, they're really, really, you know, compensated, you know, to make sure that they have a thriving economy around them. And, you know, it's not just, you know, oh, we have this forest and then the money comes back to Europe or goes back to, you know, to, to the U.S. or other places. I think we want to see more if we are protecting a forest, uh, we should definitely ensure that, you know, those credits that are there for biodiversity, most of it actually benefits uh, the local people, right? Mm. I think I'll definitely argue for that one, you know. So I think, like, let me just conclude on that one. I say the Integrity Council for Voluntary Carbon Markets, very important organization. If they set the guardrails, you know, uh, for making sure that this market can thrive and avoid these, you know, uh, controversies that we've, uh, you know, Mm. gone through over some over the years i think the market for biodiversity could be a really thriving and uh, uh you know you know well bullish market yeah should we have a separate integrity council for biodiversity uh good question uh good question uh, i know there's a lot of organizations on biodiversity um um but you know there could be that approach as well. Uh, now, W is a WEF. Uh, they have pretty much been driving this biodiversity, you know, uh, obviously, uh, uh, to make sure that you know, they, they, some of the projects monetize from that. Uh, there could be not really a separate one, but I think with the experience on the carbon market side, uh, there could be like a blend of, you know, the biodiversity market, but also like the very core, uh, carbon market as well to kind of like you know with the integrity council for example uh, mm. to make sure that they build uh, methodologies and you know uh, they build guidelines you know gu- guidelines on how this market should actually play right mm. how it should be so i think there could be like a blended one uh because there's both experience on the carbon side but also uh you know on the biodiversity experts you know like you know wef uh I think that could be actually be great to have that blend of you know, organizations trying to build you know a system uh, to make sure that the market actually can thrive. You know, um, mm. yeah. We started off discussing a little bit about villages and uh, getting kind of getting the local support systems in place and the and the local to help the local communities to thrive. So I think the uh, I think probably the key for both the biodiversity and the carbon side is the actual kind of uh, actual benefit of the local people. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. I think, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's um, you know, I think the, the focus right now, obviously, is, is carbon finance, right? It's to places where uh, from the global north, you know, to the global south, uh, we need to see that, but also making sure that those local people actually benefit from these projects. And, you know, they get a big chunk of the revenues you know, within that um, uh, the realm, yeah. So I think that's going to be very key to make sure that it's actually the local people benefiting more mm. because that's when we check those boxes, right, for impact, for sustainable development. And, you know, I think this is why this is actually set up. The whole market, you know, mechanism is that, you know, there is sustainable development, you know, obviously with mitigation of CO2 emissions in that process as well. Mm. So I think, you know, and that includes biodiversity, but also the carbon market side as well that the local people should actually be the winners or not, you know. You know, if if we really make it a little bit more, you know, transparent that, you know, there is pricing and all these kind of things that are, you know, are more visible, I think we'll see a great um, market space for both you know, carbon you know, emissions 
uh, credit market, but also the kind of biodiversity uh, credit market as well. Uh, I like, uh, for example, with um, a fair pr price, fair trade. I don't know if you know about this organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they have very good prices, right? You can mm -hmm. see that the, the mechanism on, you know, fair trade pricing on carbon, you know, which is a commodity, you know, it's, it's actually great. It benefits 10% out of the whole, you know, transactions when you split it goes back to the project owner, right? Mm. That's actually great. You know, mm. you see that level of, you know, uh, price structuring that actually benefits the project owners. I think, you know, I would definitely encourage that people actually buy from those types of, um, you know, if you really want to buy carbon credits, uh, fair trade, you know, it's very critical to make sure that it actually benefits people that actually build the project, you know, the project mm. owners. And that pricing, a lot of people actually don't know. It's a really good price. Because then you know, it's uh, the money goes back most of it to uh, to the project that developers, you know, the local people, the local communities that need to benefit from that trade year. We will continue the discussion after these short messages from our sponsors. Welcome back. As we are trying to slowly start to wrap up the discussion, uh, going back to your kind of core know-how and uh, the key kind of your core core kind of background the the carbon markets uh, we have you know we have the european ets we have other local ets uh, things popping up as you said in a number of places in china and california and maybe maybe somewhere else and then we have this totally wild wild west uh, voluntary carbon market how do you see the the kind of pricing on those markets developing I think in the early days of the European ETS market, it was easy to say that, you know, from this five euro level, the, the prices will only increase. And everybody who was in that market was, you know, taking uh, long positions and benefiting for years from those positions. But uh, what about now? I mean, where, where is the ETS trading now in uh, late January of the 2024? Good question. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that you know, the ETS program has has actually produced a lot of results over time. You know, with emissions reduction within the EU, uh, with the pricing, I think that's a really great question, right? Um, you know, the pricing obviously it's uh, it's market based. Um, of course, <laughs> but, but, but we see we we see you know with uh, with the pricing. That actually goes with regulation, right? It's kind mm, of like you know, parallel with uh, you know, goes hand in hand with regulation. Fit uh, for fifty five, for example, you know, I think that's actually a really great uh, regulation there, uh, regulatory too, that would drive the pricing up again. So I think over time in the in the you know within the ETS program, especially for for the EU, we see that the regulatory framework actually drives the pricing up. So the more they actually you know try to reduce allocations. Uh, the prices are going to be very high, and we'll see, you know, over time, uh, 2030 carbon credit, you know, our emissions are the ETS are pricing going to $200 per ton, right? You know, mm -hmm. and now they're bringing in new, you know, industries like, you know, uh, the maritime uh, sector as well, uh, shipping that will actually be, I think they have already started this from this year, uh, yeah. January this year. You know, so we see that, right? I think there's going to be a lot of you know industries and sectors that are going to be affected by the ETS program, or be you know included in the ETS program. But I think the question of the pricing, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's it's driven by regulation, right? It's something mm -hmm. that the EU is really really strict on, and I think they have really nailed on on that pricing uh, mechanism that you know 
they over time it's going to be increasing as the regulation actually you know now new regulatory uh, policies of you know tools actually pops up yeah mm. so i think with that regulation regulation and and pricing i think the eu market you know price is going to go a little bit higher and we don't see that obviously in the in the in the vcm right it's a wild wild waste as you call it <laughs> so but yeah you know with the ets i think it's very structured market uh, the pricing is really driven by regulation and we see more regulation coming and the pricing also going up as well so yeah so if you are affected you know one of the sectors uh, within the ets program the price is actually going to go up mm. but we also want to say the same for the this year market right but it has to be really structured uh, more visible you know visibility uh, transparency you know and also avoiding these uh, volatile risks as well yeah mm. Uh, in some of the early episodes of Nature Pact, I've already pitched, I think, the idea that if I would have, I don't know, 10 or 100 million fund, I would probably buy up the ETS uh, or the, one of the carbon credits this year and sell them at 2029 when everybody's trying to, you know, reach their 2030 targets. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you discuss that already? I think I've, uh, you know, suggested in the early episodes already to the audience that it, it to me, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, but I think it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a very structured market, you know, mm. uh, to get a trading account, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you want to transfer allocations or, you know, these allowances that they give, you know, it's a very structured market, right? It's not an easy process as well. You know, mm, just so, to get that. So get maybe that maybe it's easier license. to do it on a voluntary side then. Yeah, I think on, on with your ambitions and your you know your vision there, the voluntary side makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm. But we've seen also some of the funds, you know, uh, that are really working very hard on the ETS side. I think mm. they've done pretty well. I know one fund, I think from the UK, that is actually doing so well with over 400 million, you know, serving the ETS market. Uh, you know, market value there. Yeah. So, uh, Kenny, as we wrapping up here, what's your kind of uh, big uh, goal for twenty twenty four? Great question. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, very much appreciate it. Um, yeah, twenty twenty four. I think definitely, I would definitely want to launch my project. You know, you know for social inclusion with women in tech in Africa, mm-hmm. uh, the platform that I've built. So we're launching that in Namibia. In Vindog, so I'm really excited to make sure that we get more women and more girls you know, to do internship programs and to get started, right? And these are things that I really, really, um, really focused on this year to make sure that we drive women leadership in Africa within tech to get the space that they know they deserve. And uh, over time, I think I definitely want to work with a lot of companies, uh, you know, advising companies on you know, compliance, mm-hmm. uh, truth, and transparency. So I think you know I definitely want to work around the the you know the truth market where I can spend some time to help companies if they want to look into you know buying credits or you know trying to get that trust uh, from companies that I know that are actually doing a great job on on this market in terms of you know the impact but also you know the emissions reduction like you know impact on economic inclusion on pricing and affordability of you know local communities. I'm very much focused on looking to that picture than just getting the revenues. So I definitely want to help a lot of companies to understand, you know, uh, on the compliance side, but also the truth and also the transparency side. Yeah, that's my my goal this year. Yeah. 
Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, Kenny, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Tamo. Great podcast and keep going. I love it. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid. Cast.